Welcome to From a Woman to a Leader, a podcast dedicated to discussing the challenges and providing tips for women in tech leadership. Hi, I'm your host, Limor Bergman-Gross, and in each episode, we'll hear from other successful women in tech, sharing their stories, insights, and advice. Join us as we empower each other to reach our full potential in the tech industry. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From a Woman to a Leader. And today I have a great honor to have Sharon Ganonix. And Sharon is an executive vice president of engineering, and she calls herself builder of things, who leads teams of technologies to deliver innovating products. And we're going to talk about today of women in engineering leadership, and we'll hear from Sharon how women can rise to the top and get to executive roles in engineering. So hi, Sharon. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I always love uh, mentoring women and, and people of color and underrepresented folks in technology. And if my experience and my tips and techniques can help, that's really that feels really good to me. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, Sharon and I know each other from the mentorship program that I created with Power to Fly. And she has been a mentor there for several years. So thank you, Sharon, for supporting other women. Absolutely. We have to lift each other up. And that's so important. It's incredibly important, actually. It is. Yes. And um, I wanted to start maybe, Sharon, if you can share your own journey uh, of, of your career and how, how have you become such a successful leader in engineering? Sure. Well, I guess I'll start off way, way back when I was around like, I think it was um, 12 or 13, my parents had bought a computer that was supposed to be shared by my brother and myself. And once I got my hands on that, my poor brother never had the chance to use it because I taught myself to a program. I, I actually created a Dungeons and Dragons game based on some, you know, Dungeons and Dragons books. And so I had a good time learning about software. And that was kind of the beginning of the adventure. I had always liked doing, you know, arts and crafts and building things. But once I got exposure to computers, I knew I wanted to be a software engineer. And so fast forward, I went to, uh, I got my undergraduate at MIT and, and learned so much about software engineering and technology and got immersed in, in um, all kinds of great experiences there and went on to get a master's degree. Um, at UMass Amherst in microwave remote sensing of all things, which really got me interested in algorithm development and wow. uh, and how do you make sense of the world by using technology. So that was another eye-opening experience. Uh, from there, my, my first job was in uh, medical. So there was HP, Hewlett Packard used to have a medical research and development company and and now it's owned by Phillips Medical, but I got exposure to how to create sort of structured software and product development and just to see how things were done. I spent about seven years there and then uh, I went on to actually work at, at Bose 
Corporation. And in, at Bose was my first real foray into team leadership. And so, you know, in the previous time I had spent even a lot of time doing individual contributing and developing software and algorithms, all this kind of stuff. And then I started realizing that teams and groups of people and, you know, working with other people, you could accomplish so much more than just doing your own software. And at that time, you know, technology was getting more and more complex and projects were getting more and more complex. And there were very fewer uh, places where you could do just a one person technology project. And so noticing that I decided that I wanted to learn about team leading. And actually Bose had a lot of great management courses. And one technique that really sticks with me, even now I use it now, is called situational leadership. And situational leadership is basically adjusting your management style based on the experience of a person in a particular task, not their experience as a whole, but in the particular role. And it, you think have to think about it in terms of four stages. The first stage is, you know, somebody just is just starting. They're very enthusiastic and they don't know what they're doing. So you'd have to um, give them very detailed workflow, like tell them how to do it, but you don't really need to support them emotionally because they're enthusiastic. They want to learn. And then the second phase is when you start to realize how much you don't know. <laughs> and so maybe the person would get a little overwhelmed at how much there still is to learn. So you continue to give them very detailed instruction, but then you also give them feedback on what they're doing well. And then the third phase is when somebody understands the, um, the role much better, but maybe they don't understand how well they know. And this will often, will happen more often, I think, with people who uh, might happen more with women. So that's something to be aware of when, when you're doing leadership is then you move to a coaching style. And instead of telling the person what to do, you ask them to give them a plan, give you a plan, and then you give feedback and you're really focused on telling them what they've done well and the places where they can improve. And then finally, there's people who know what they know and they know that they know it and you just let them give them fairly free reign with just kind of check-ins. So evolving your leadership style was something really important that I learned. Um, and so after Bose, I had been refining my leadership style in terms of that growth, creating a, a a growth-oriented environment where, as I just described, people can learn and stretch themselves in new roles. I was recruited by the largest audio company you've probably never heard of, and that's Knowles Electronics, is um, a um, maker of semiconductors and microphones. And they had wanted to go a little further up the value chain and add some algorithm development and some software development and SDKs. And so I spent four years in Silicon Valley, which was a great experience because, you know, I had spent much of my career on the East Coast, but I'd always regretted not experiencing the Bay Area. And so just kind of that that melting pot of ideas and pace and the, the crazy ideas and, and the great ideas, just all the, the mixture was very, very exciting. But I did miss the East Coast. And so after that, um, experience in with Knowles and, and with working on voice cognition and getting into learning more about artificial intelligence and machine learning. I came back to that East Coast and now I'm here at 
Cambridge Mobile Telematics, which is the largest telematics service provider in the world, actually. And what we do is take sensor data from IoT devices that we make, uh, phone sensors, connected car, lots of sensor uh, things like uh, GPS or accelerometers. And then we do AI machine learning or algorithms on that data to make inferences about how well people drive, whether they've been in a crash or um, just understanding the intersection of risk and mobility. And so um, at CMT, I oversee mobile and cloud and data engineering, data science. And so the whole telematics, the whole back end of getting that data, transforming it and storing it in ways that we can make greater insights. So that's <laughs> been my journey and um, happy to answer any, any. Yeah, it's a great journey. So first of all, you kind of experienced working at different places and different uh, uh, locations, right? East coast and, and, and West coast and working on different technologies. And you mentioned in your, in, in, in talks that you did the importance of growth oriented environments uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about that and, and how can such environment contribute to the advancement of women in engineering leadership roles? Yeah, that's a great question. So first, I want to define what I mean by growth-oriented mm -hmm. environment. In a, what I basically mean is an environment where people are encouraged to learn, take on new roles, and learn new technology and learn new skill sets. And so the, the manager, the leader of that environment is really the person who sets the tone for it. And so instead of, say, hiring somebody to manage a group, you might say, well, you know, Sharon has got, you know, seven of the 10 skills I want in that job. And she maybe, you know, could do a little bit better in communication or, or XYZ skill. But I'm going to give her a chance and I'm going to support with coaching and with Courses or resources. So it's important to not just give a person a chance to do a new role, but also to support them within that new role and actually have a plan or a development plan. Or I might say that, hey, you know, Sharon is a great individual contributor and I can see potential for team lead. So, well, I put her kind of on a, on a path and when we have a conversation about what she wants, obviously it's a two-way street, but what I'm getting at is that the leader of the, the group or the managers within the group identify potential and then take steps to develop that potential. Now, it's also true that the person has a lot of responsibility for either responding to the opportunities or seeking out other opportunities if your environment doesn't encourage such growth. But it's that continual um, focus on what can I learn next? Where do I want to go? And there was one course that I had taken, it's probably about 15 years ago, but the technique that was taught in that class is really an interesting one. And it's basically you draw like, a, like an open angle and the timeline across the they represent two different timelines. And one is, the bottom is, what would happen if you do nothing and don't take any steps? And the other is, what are little tiny steps that you can take that would help you towards kind of an audacious goal? So you pick an audacious goal. And at the time I said, oh, I wanna be a director of engineering. And that was to me something I never thought I could possibly achieve. 
And then I kind of broke it down into, I could take this course, I could read this book, I could give this talk, I could take this assignment. And each of those little steps helps to bring you from this, nothing is going to happen to you get a little further towards your, your audacious goal. And even if you don't meet that, you still, <laughs> you still yeah. take to bring you in that direction. And I just think the power of having a vision of what you want in your career, and you can change that vision, but having the power of kind of a North Star is, is cannot be understated, overstated. Absolutely. And I completely agree with you. And this is a part of what uh, I do in my coaching practice, right? I mean, help women craft their own rear vision and start marching towards that. And, and you mentioned like audacious goals, like yeah. something that you have no clue how you're going to get to. And maybe it will take you years to get there. Maybe it will change in the future, as you mentioned. But at least you have something you start marching towards and evolving yourself and growing. The question I wanted to ask you, so you said like when you moved to Bose, you wanted to become a leader. How did you know? And how can someone know? And, and we're talking about engineering, right? Very technical. Women starting at the very technical role is an IC. How do they know what they want to do when they grow up? Yeah. So I always explain that there's, uh, how did I know? I wanted to have more of an impact. I wanted to have a seat at the strategic table. I wanted to help define, you know, what projects we were even going to do or how they were going to get done or architecture we were going to use. And as an individual contributor, you have certain say in that. And some people develop along, you know, a very, very deep or wide technical breadth. But in order to get stuff done, as I said before, or you you know, noted before in, in my about on my LinkedIn, it says I'm a builder of things. I think of myself as liking to build stuff and seeing it out in the world and having an impact, ideally a positive impact on humanity. And you can't really do that by yourself. It's hard to do that as a single person, even in the context of a company. And so by creating this vision, by uh, learning how to ensure everybody knows what they're doing and break down problems and, and execute projects. By learning how to do some of those executive functions, you can actually have a huge impact, absolutely huge impact. Like it Bose, one of the first things that projects that, that I led was the software effort behind a DVD home theater system, a set of software that then was used in many different variants and actually became hundreds of million dollars of, of per year revenue business, so a very large business, but it was a cool, it was a pretty cool product that lots of people enjoyed and, and um, uh, you know, had great fun with. So you, there was no, there's no way to do that as a single person. So if you have that desire for a larger impact, for a seat at the strategic table, for just doing bigger and better things, then you know, the best way to do that is to learn how to help other people or, or lead a group mm -hmm. and that very specific skill sets, which are quite different than you might have as a, as an individual contributor. Absolutely. And that kind of leads to my next question. Like what kind of skills do you need to have and what skills are often overlooked uh, when thinking about a woman in an executive leadership role or even starting out in a leadership role? What kind of skills do you need? You need to have good communication skills. And good communication skills are not just the ability to give a presentation, but 
the an ability to synthesize the most important points out of you know say there's there's 500 things going on in your project what's the headline what are the most important things for people to know so summary is actually really really difficult i forget which president said that um I only need uh, 10 minutes to prepare for a four hour speech, but I'll need mm. the day to prepare for a one hour speech. Just that, that yeah. ability to know what's most important. So that's one piece. The ability to manage conflict is another piece. And that's related to a really important skill, which is creating a uh, creating trust. And there's a great book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And the premise of that book is that having a basis of trust allows a team to function effectively. And in the interest of time, I'll let you <laughs> look up that book yourself. But being able to create an environment where people feel that they can speak up, where everyone is heard, where conflicts, you know, technical disagreements or product disagreements can happen and are managed and you reach a decision. And finally, like I said, just um, being able to be heard yourself. And the most important ways of being heard yourself are knowing when to speak up, good writing skills, good summary skills, and understanding the importance of letting the folks outside of your organization know what's happening. Because sometimes great stuff can happen, but if nobody acknowledges or speaks about it, then it can be easily ignored. And so learning to toot your own team's horn or talk about the great things that are being done in your organization is very important in terms of getting that recognition and, you know, just being able to have your own voice and strategy heard because you've had some successes. Absolutely. And books are rel- definitely a great source of information. I love books and, and I wrote down the name. Other than books, how can you share, like, how can you develop those skills, those leadership skills, that's communication, uh, conflict resolution, all those skills that are so needed? So there's, for communication skills, you have to practice. You have to seek out opportunities to uh, give a, a talk. You can join Toastmasters, um, can give small talks at your, your work on various subjects. So you have to practice. And for me, when I do have to speak, I often you know spend an hour or so just practicing the speech or the presentation by myself out loud because I find that all the verbal stumbles go away. So um, practice and for conflict resolution, um, what I recommend for people who are uh, conflict adverse is to try having small conflicts in safe places. Like you can talk to your, your spouse or partner and say, I need to practice having conflicts. And so it could be as easy as they want to go somewhere for dinner and you don't want to go to that restaurant. So practicing speaking up in low stakes situations with somebody who knows that you're practicing with them can help you build that muscle that lets you speak up when the stakes are higher. So I wanted to kind of emphasize the practice piece there because if you're if you're going into a stressful situation without having practiced, um, it will be much more difficult than having that muscle memory to to rely on that will just allow you to to move to move forward. The other um, other things to practice those are kind of important. And managing conflict, uh, building trust. 
So practicing building trust. One thing that you can do is actually reach out to somebody who you're, you wouldn't normally be you know, in relationship with, like at work, if you're an engineer, you might talk to the salesperson, but just engage in small talk, say a little bit about yourself, just kind of build that human interaction. Also building trust is, is more than just that connection. It's about fulfilling any promises that you make. So trust is more than I know who you, I know you, I can, I know that you won't say anything about me by having me back, but it's, it's also delivering. And so working on those pieces, like I said, in a smaller stake environment, but intentionally is important. Great. So basically identifying those skills and start exercising them in small scale, low risk environment. And it's interesting what you mentioned about your personal versus professional life, because a lot of times we, if, if you are conflict averse, you tend to do it both in your professional life and also in personal life. So even practicing like standing up for yourself, even a small small stuff like picking up which uh, movie you're gonna watch with your spouse, or which restaurant you want to go to, or you know small things like that can help you right in in the workplace. Absolutely. And definitely practice goes a long way. And I always say also to women I work with like conflict is not a battlefield. A lot of time we tend to shy away from conflict because we see that as like combative, like we have to go and fight with someone. A conflict can be done in a relatively, I wouldn't say calm, but Mm. respectful way. It doesn't have to be raising your, your voice, shouting at someone, fighting with someone. That's absolutely true. And there are even frameworks that you can use to have conflict. For example, if you need to give feedback to somebody, you say, hey, can we talk about whatever happened? And then you name the behavior, not you made me feel like X. You said you interrupted me. And then the impact, which was I felt like I couldn't continue the conversation. And then you say what you'd like to do differently. I'd like to listen to what I say completely before you say something yourself. And then finally, you say, what do you think or or do you have any, how do you want to do you have any response? So just kind of that, that framework I find helps me to give feedback where you break it down to a behavior, not I'm so mad at you. It's like this happened and I reacted this way. Can you please change? Is <laughs> is a great way to have conflict in a constructive way. Absolutely. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, um, women have some biases. There are some biases against women, especially when we stand up for ourselves. A lot of times, a woman can be seen as aggressive versus a man will be seen assertive. And, and those biases exist, unfortunately, those gender biases. And I wanted to kind of ask you how, what, what kind of effective ways have you found to overcome uh, those biases against you as a woman in, in executive roles? And, and how do you establish credibility as a leader? Yeah, those are, those. that's a tough question. And I would go back to some of the things I said earlier about building trusting relationships where you can have conflict and establishing your your own technical credibility is unfortunately something I have experienced women have to do intentionally. So if, so is the way I, I would establish myself technically would be even when I'm asking questions, demonstrating a deep knowledge of whatever the topic was. So 
that you know my opinions might be uh, heard differently after that. If you feel that you haven't been heard, following up afterwards with an email and also using the, the framework of, of giving feedback in very in a very kind of detached but, but clear manner is, is helpful. So I would say a lot of the techniques that we've talked about during mm -hmm. this, this podcast are really good at helping women in the workplace. And so if you've had some, if you're not afraid of the conflict and you can come with, with you know, clarity and unfortunately, I think uh, like raising your voice or using terms like you made me so mad instead of this is what happened and I got mad. Those are the sorts of things that can work against you. Absolutely. And, uh, and I've seen, you know, uh, in my career, the most effective was always to come as, you know, less emotional as possible, right? Detach emotion and come with facts. As you mentioned, you, you keep mentioning that, right? I mean, speaking about things that no one can argue about, about facts, observations, rather than feelings. Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. Because, well, no one, you can't really argue with somebody's feelings, but you can when so when you bring a fact to the table, it's it's has a different kind of weight, and it does. Maybe it's a little less expected <laughs> if if people's bias is that one will come with an emotional reaction, and you come with with a calm set of facts presented in a clear framework that totally upends those biases and makes it harder for someone to say, "Oh, Sharon's just you know a you know whatever." Absolutely. And and if you're a woman in engineering leadership and you want to get to the C-suite, you want to get to executive roles, what are some practical strategies can you give to women that want to march towards that? What can they do? One thing that has helped me a lot is to observe the people in the C-suite and to observe what kinds of skills they might be using that are maybe different than what you have or something that might be unexpected. Usually the skills are things like seeing the bigger picture, like, you know, a problem happened and maybe somebody who's younger in their career might say, let me fix the problem. But executive might say, well, is there something systemic that needs to be fixed? And the, um, so, so that larger picture and also the ability to convince to influence. So influence is a huge skill. So say, you know, I'm the engineering leader and there's, you know, problems with monitoring and I have to involve SRE or, or, you know, IT. I need to go to them with a plan and be able to convince them or have a conversation and come up with a common plan. So taking leadership of issues which are outside your specific domain and, mm -hmm. and influencing the other leaders. Summary, communication, maybe even over communication and finally managing up. So mm -hmm. most of us are really good at working with our teams, but as a C-suite or, or as an executive, you have to view your team as not the people who work with on a daily basis, but your peers in the organization. And then think about, well, how can what I do, how can I work with the others on, on who are my peers to solve company-wide problems? So bringing your perspective from the smaller to the larger. So from more like an eagle's eye view of how work might be 
beneficial to the whole company. So yeah. the perspective change and the ability to communicate that and the ability to influence those who are not under your direct organization. Those are, are important skills. And how do you improve your influential skills? I mean, influencing, especially when you don't have authority, like you're not coming up as someone's manager, but you're their peer, or maybe even they are more senior than you. Do you have some tips of how, how you can influence people? Well, people usually will respond to a common goal. So if I'm stating something as, you know, how it benefits Sharon, that's not going to be very effective. So learning how to make a win-win, but also understanding a little bit about the person that you're trying to influence. Do they respond to a 30 pages of facts? Some people like that. Do they respond to a few bullet points? Sometimes you might influence somebody that they listen to if you can't influence them directly. So there's a bunch of different kinds of techniques and there's some great books out there. But I would say that you try to create a win-win situation. You try to understand how the person absorbs information and you want to find out who the uh, your allies might be in that situation and influence them too. That's Absolutely. Things you could try. Yeah, and this is uh, one of the tactics is always think about what would that person benefit, right? What's in it for them? Uh, because we usually tend to be very self-focused, right? That's what I want to get rather than, okay, what's in it for them? And one thing that I've found incredibly helpful throughout my career is to focus on like my own ego or my own, you, you said most people are self-focused and to learn how to not take things too personally, learn how to recognize that other people also probably maybe have imposter syndrome, or they also maybe don't feel as confident as they're projecting, but learning how to care for your own uh, emotions and your own ego, and then soften that by, you know, affirmations or, you know, meditation, or even like exercise or yoga, taking care of yourself so that you're coming from a more of a a healthy response that you're not going to react overreact to somebody else's maybe having a bad day or having poor social skills. So that's really important that we come from a, a place of, of personal or inner strength mm-hmm. in order to not um, be hit too hard by the inevitable arrows that come at us. Absolutely. And uh, not to take things personally is a big one for me, right? I mean, uh, sometimes people will say things maybe in a way that will hurt you, or maybe they will disagree with you and maybe you will not be able to influence or what have you. Just not take, don't take it personally. Yeah. It's not, it may not be about you at all. It may be yeah. about something completely different. And we often are so self-focused that we're like, wow, they really wanted to, you know, aggravate me when maybe, you know, they had a flat tire on the way in and they were just <laughs> upset anyway. Yeah. And taking care of yourself holistically, right? On your body and soul is so important super important it's so easy to get caught up in there's too much to do i have to work 12 hour days when that's actually not what you should be doing you should be listening to when you've had enough making time for the exercise making time to eat well making time to meditate or do whatever practices you find helpful for your own mental well-being 
is just incredibly important. And you should view that as part of your job. <laughs> you should really yeah. do that and not, and I don't always follow this myself, but you shouldn't trade off extra hours at work or shortchanging yourself. Absolutely. You need to put yourself first. You do. Otherwise, how can you be the strong, amazing woman that you you really have the potential to be? Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I wanted to make sure that we talk about is about the organization side, right? We talked about the women. What can organization do and leaders in organizations do to really support women and help more women get promoted especially, you know, advancing women in engineering to get to leadership roles? Yeah. I think teaching some of the skills that we've we've talked about, teaching things like active listening, oftentimes the kinds of environments where, where women and underrepresented minorities thrive is where alternative viewpoints can be heard or alternative ways of communication can be heard. Like, instead of sort of shouting in a meeting, having the, the meeting leader ensure that everybody gets a chance to speak up and moderating meetings well. Um, training on how to create more inclusive environments is, is incredibly important too. Training on active listening, training on, um, or providing coaching, uh, providing coaches for people who have that high potential, but just having a more broad understanding of what uh, what a successful person looks like and when you have when you're doing hiring one surprising but effective technique is to have a scorecard because there's this uh, sometimes people have this sort of halo effect that if someone comes into the organization and they look the same way they talk the same way they went to the same schools they can whether or not they have the skills can be overlooked in terms of that this person is perfect for the job. But if you break it down to the skills which are needed and you evaluate each candidate based on that scorecard, you actually end up with um, a more objective result. And similarly for like performance reviews, and we do this, is we have a scorecard based on objective criteria. So what you wanna do is try to um, remove as many ways for the unconscious bias to come into being, whether it's by training, whether it's by using tools which increase objectivity and whether it's by um, reaching out to people and giving them coaches and, you know, training some of the skill sets or training uh, or providing them ways to develop their own careers. Yes. And definitely one of the strategies I've used is noticing the ones that were quieter, that less asked for money, promotion, whatever, and mm-hmm. actually making sure that I support their career advancement. And a lot of times it's women, not always, it's also men, but a lot of time women don't speak up enough for themselves. Yeah. Yes, that's incredibly important because you don't want to just reward the people who are loud or asking for it or saying, I will quit if I don't get X, Y, or Z promotion. So that's why the objective scorecards, as well as doing a lot of uh, equity across levels. So you can, can combine your scorecard with, you know, how is our pay and promotion being um, administered and making sure that it's, it's fair across all the various levels. So we do a lot of, a lot of that kind of checking. So you don't want, you know, somebody who says, 
I need a bigger pay raise to be the highest paid person. You want it to be more objectively based. And so that takes a lot of extra effort on the manager's part. It takes extra effort on HR's part, but these are important things to have in, in place in order to, to ensure equity. Absolutely. Wow. And uh, thank you so much. It's been so, so beneficial, this conversation. And I wanted to just uh, kind of before we part way to ask, how can people reach out to you? What's the best way to know more about you? Well, let's see. I would reach out to me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, mention this podcast and say, yeah, I listened to it and I'd like to connect and I'd be happy to take it from there. And I think profile in the uh, in the notes. Absolutely. Yes. I'll put the LinkedIn profile in the podcast uh, episode. Yeah. Thank you so much, Erin. It's been a pleasure having you here. Well, thank you so much for asking. It was really fun to have a conversation about these topics, which I'm so, you know, are one of my passions. Yes, definitely. Mine too. And thank you for all the work you do in, in creating this podcast and distributing it for everyone to, to, you know, learn from and benefit by. Happy to. That's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of From a Woman to a Leader This is your host, Lemore Bergman-Gross, and I want to encourage you to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Lemore Bergman, and let me know. What do you think about the episodes? Feel free also to comment on Apple Podcasts and tell me what do you want me to talk about? Which guests do you want me to bring? I really appreciate that and have a wonderful day.